0: Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show.
1: Well, for the first time in football history, Manchester City have gone to Merseyside three times in a season and won all three games. That's the sort of history that this Pep Guardiola side is making. Forget your quadruple hopes or whether they're not good enough to win the Champions League. Two wins at Goodison Park and one at Anfield in the same season is a remarkable feat. And if they can do that, what can't they do? Welcome to this week's Blue Moon Podcast, where we'll be looking back over that 2-0 win at Everton as City cruised through to the semi-finals of the FA Cup. The spotlight is obviously on Ilkay Gundogan, but there were some other names who shone as City booked their place at Wembley, what will be their 12th visit there under Guardiola, and that's not including the 13th to come later this season too. Also on this week's show, we're using the international break to have an in-depth interview, and it's former City striker Paul Walsh, who's reminiscent about his time at Main Road. Stay tuned to find out how he felt the need to prove himself when he joined, and how he struck up that partnership with Uwe Rosler. I'm David Mooney, and with me this week is One Football's Dan Burke. Hello. And football writer for Stats Perform, Dom Farrell. Hello. Uh, yeah, so uh, welcome to the show guys. Um, Dom, I'm going to start with uh, that Everton game. Um, the uh, The performance wasn't necessarily one of City's best, but they were definitely in control throughout, so that kind of makes it one of the best, do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I think it, it's another one of those games that has shown how valuable the improvement in the defence is for City this year, because I think last season... If you have that performance and it goes that deep into the game nil nil, then the anxiety starts to kick in and things get edgy, and the the opponents probably score one of their two chances on the break. Whereas, there, there was sort of, there was a real confidence in how they ground Everton down and just thought this is okay. The chances will come because it's obviously with Ruben Diaz at the back. You know, we, we've we've all spoken a great deal about how impressive he's been. But I think after a tough spell, Emirat Laporte is back to something like his best now as well, even before his foray upfield for the goal. And that yeah, so I think it's it's one of those wins built on strong defensive foundations that they, for all the goals they scored last season, they just simply weren't capable of.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting though, Dan, because um, as much as as Dom says, you kind of trust the defence now, um, you also trust the attack to find a way through. Last season, they were playing games where they'd create chance after chance after chance and and never look like scoring. Whereas even now, when they don't look like scoring, you still think, oh, they'll nick a goal
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, only four times this season they failed to score. Um, the most recent one was was United the other week, obviously. And then before that, it was it was the Porto game, the 0-0 in early December when they had a goal ruled out there, actually, for, for a pretty harsh offside. And, you know, even the United game, they, they created clear, clear cut chances to score and perhaps should have had a penalty in that game. Um, I think the interesting thing about City as well this season is they've had 19 different scorers. So, there's goals coming from all over the squad. And, you know, when it was nil-nil against Everton, it was kind of comforting to know that if, if a goal didn't come from the players that were on the pitch, they had Aguero, like De Bruyne, Mahrez, Torres, all on the bench. Um, I didn't really, like, feel like Everton were going to score in that game. I wasn't really worried about it. And my only worry is that we, we might go all the way to penalties and lose it there. But I think, you know, I think they, they end up with 75% possession. and And to me, for to dominate a game like that and it still be nil-nil until the 84th minute when you're not playing particularly well and to, and to dig out a win at the end there I think that's uh, that's a really good sign
1: yeah I mean Dom it, th- that said though I mean the way that they've been playing this season it's kind of it, it almost just kind of fits the pattern doesn't it you, you look at, at those games they have just in the way that we that is the cliche they have just found a way to win each week
0: yeah it, it's like it's the, there's the, there just seems to be a great control about it and I mean, there's, you know, there are pros and cons for that for certain players in the team, but I think if early City under Guardiola was like the Barcelona that he managed, this is probably more a bit like the Spain team of that era. In that there's you know probably an extra body in midfield, a few more passes, not as like pulse racingly exciting, but there's yeah there the, the comes a point where there's an inevitability because I, I I'd say probably about seventy minutes into that, maybe even a bit earlier at the weekend. You were thinking, and now this might have been different had Hammers Rodriguez been available to Everton. You know they cut their cloth accordingly, but you sort of think Everton aren't winning this game, and to think that about either side in a in a game that's nil nil probably speaks volumes about the levels of control that the other team has, has managed to establish. Yeah,
1: uh, let's touch on that opening goal then, uh, Dan, because uh, I mean, of course, it was Gunderwin who was in the right place at the right time. Um, how how does he keep doing that?
2: Well, I think with him, I mean, he's always been an intelligent player. who has been really good at sort of finding spaces and timing his runs to perfection. And and now we're seeing a bit of a different side to him because you know in the, in the past he's sort of been tasked with with holding Rodri's hand in midfield, and now he's been encouraged to push forward. And I think his his spatial awareness um, from further back has been translated into being like a, a real fox in the box. I mean, I've always been pretty pretty lukewarm on on Gundogan. I used to say he was a bit of a fair weather player who was who was perfectly fine when we, we were winning, but a bit useless when the chips were down. Not not someone who really sort of stood up. And, uh, and took games by the by the scuff of the neck, but I think uh, you know this season he's become what what they call in basketball a bit of a clutch player who who does pop up and and, and win matches and score goals like that for us. And uh, you know it's almost a bit of a shame that we didn't see a bit more of this in, attacking instinct from him in the past. But I don't think it was really his fault. I think he's he's just always been a, a pretty selfless player who would kind of sacrifice himself for the good of the team in a more defensive role.
1: Yeah, Dom. When when um, have you been in any press conferences where Gundogan spoken ahead of Champions League games
0: and stuff like that? Um, yeah, I, and I also, um, the, the day that De Bruyne got his injury at the start of the 2018-19 season, I um, interviewed him on the blue carpet at the premiere for the Amazon Prime documentary, um, sort of basically shoving a mic in his face going, are you going to replace Kevin De Bruyne? Which he took, in, um, he took in very good spirits really, so yeah, he's, <laughs> he does seem like one of the good guys. Because I, I, it's one of those moments where you're asking a question going, what he's have I just asked? You yeah. <laughs> sound a bit of an idiot here, don't you? He, he could pie me off, but he was yeah, he was he was good as gold. Because well, I was just I'm, I'm interested
1: in um kind of how he views the game. Just because like he's spoken recently about um, like, like people keep putting to him that he's in the best form that he, that he's been in at City, and he was, and he keeps coming back and saying, "Well, no, I'm. I always feel like I've been in good form because I always feel like I've just been able to do the job that I've been asked." And I'm just wondering, like, do you think Gundogan maybe suffers by being good at several different jobs and so gets shunted around a, a lot in the team?
0: Yeah, but I think also his attitude to that maybe comes from. And it's hard. it's hard to make a case he's been as good in any position as the you know, season when he scored, I think, is it sixteen goals now? Yeah. But when he talking of clutch players, you know, it was a different type of clutch performances. In that run in twenty eighteen nineteen when Fernandinho was injured and City had to win the last fourteen games to win the league, Gundi, you who's know, not noted for his physical prowess really, and particularly with the the way he's, he's had injury problems, he played at the base of that midfield, like pretty immaculately towards the end of that season. So I think that's where You know, there's probably part of him that thinks, and I think it's maybe the lot of the holding midfielder, you know, that they're always, people in that position are often talked about as the underrated players. And he probably feels he's getting a lot of credit now, whereas actually, in terms of being a little bit out of his comfort zone, those 2019 running performances might be as good as anything he's ever produced.
1: Yeah, he probably deserved more credit than he got for that, actually. The, 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 or we were giving him for that as well at the time. Um, Dan, I, like like Dom said, I, I had to actually double-check that uh, in, in the build-up to the goal. It was actually Laporte who took on the initial shot. Um, <laughs> yeah. like, 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 what on earth possessed him to go, I'll just have a little one-two with Kevin De Bruyne here and, you know, maybe swing my right foot at this?
2: I don't know, yeah, because I thought it was, it was Phil Foden at first that was making that burst forward. Um, and it was you know, fair play to Laporte, you know, he's, he's not had his best season, as Dom said, he's he's sort of coming back to his best now, he almost lost his place to Stones and Diaz earlier in the season, but to have the confidence to push forward in a game like that and try and make something happen, I think is, is really encouraging and a real feather in his cap and, you know, I think these are the kind of characters every successful team needs, like multi-talented players who are willing to take risks and do something a bit inventive late in a game like that and, you uh, yeah, it was a bit of a comedy goal in the end, wasn't it? <laughs> the Everton defence bit of sort of Keystone cop stuff, whatever that means.
1: Yeah. I, I think I think what's funny about it, Dom, is probably the fact that everybody falls over. But they fall over kind of like in time with each other, so like <laughs> De Bruyne goes, and then the distance between him going down and Laporte going over is the same distance as Laporte and the keeper, and then the same distance as the keeper and Gundogan's diving header. And just the fact that it's kind of like beat after beat, one goes, then the next one goes. It's like a like a domino effect, just just going over. It just I can I can watch that goal again and again. It's just there's something really pleasing about it, as ugly as <laughs> it looks.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the scene after it goes in like when after Gundian splayed out on the floor score it it all sort of looks a bit like like a low budget western or something like just after <laughs> after the, the you know the OK corral has been shot up or something which presumably would Laporte has blundered through the saloon doors with the guns and yeah everyone's just all over the place it was it was i mean i i don't want to get into that territory of people who after a year of this pandemic think the worst thing in the world is people are, can't go to football games because there are Worse things to play. yeah. And a uh, journalist bemoaning the lack of fans is kind of a little bit triad, in my opinion. However, five minutes from full time in an FA Cup game, with a big away following in, in the FA Cup, that type of goal where it's a sort of, ooh, ooh, yeah, goal, that would have been limbs, as they say in the <laughs> modern parlance, yeah. I think. That goes to Farco That would have been ridiculous.
1: Yeah uh, the 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 funny thing about that that, that like I've missed this entirely until uh, Sam Lee actually pointed it out to me on Twitter. Um, have, have you seen Michael Oliver's reaction to that goal, Dan? No, uh, like he, he's it's almost as if like because I think De Bruyne was fouled. I think that's how the ball got back to Laporte, and so mm. I think he plays an advantage. But there's a screenshot of of the ball having just crossed the line, and you know Gundogan uh, celebrating, where Michael Oliver is kind of on his haunches doing the like advantage uh, pose, and it just like that just it just adds another layer to the comedy of it all.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well I, I think I was shouting for a free kick watching the telly for that that De Bruyne one. And and then, yeah, he runs through to the port, doesn't it? And I think it's him, his sort of like attempted shot trips Sigurdsson up, who falls into Yerimina, and then the ball <laughs> comes through to, to Gundogan. And and um, great finish by Gundogan, by the way. I mean, you might think when the ball's that low that he'd been better off you sort of getting his foot on that. But the way it sort of comes to him quickly, I think he probably... Hit, he, He's in danger of kind of probably mishitting it and hitting it over the bar if he tries yeah. to go with his foot. So, so, so to, to get down and nod it in like that, I thought was uh, was really clever. Yeah,
1: that, uh, that just reminds me of that time, Dom, that um, EA Sports announced that they'd uh, improved collision detection on uh, FIFA. And the, and the very <laughs> next FIFA just had players flying around everywhere as soon as they touched each <laughs> other. Um, the other. It's interesting as well that uh, Dan mentioned the ports in the goal, uh, Dom. It's interesting that, that he... Laporte felt there was space to exploit at that stage in the game, given that the the substitution a few minutes earlier had been uh, to take Raheem Sterling off the off the off wide left and push Phil Foden out there, kind of stretch the pitch a bit more.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it did. There were a couple of instances before the goal where Everton seemed to let Laporte get quite deep in deep into their half. I mean, I, I, he does he, he does like a bit of a wanging it from 30 yards Laporte doesn't he maybe they were thinking we'll just let him do that and it'll be a goal kick but, <laughs> he's never um, scored one of them has he I don't think I, 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 all got remotely close but, yeah. um,
2: <laughs> company but yeah, never say- scored one either before he had that one against Leicester so you know just saying well if we, if we have
0: to wait 10 years for Laporte first I mean <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah you know you make a fair point that F- Foden in wide stretch the pitch is like it all comes back to Guardiola's positional play sort of method that it's hardwired into them that when Foden goes out there, Laporte knows that that will open up space. And we still, it's you know—it's not so much about the formation city players we talk about it, it's occupying spaces on the pitch. So, whereas a lot of teams would think, what on earth is the centre half doing, swanning up the pitch when it's nil nil in the 85th minute? For, for Laporte or any other city player in that position, it's just normal because that's where the space is to attack. And yeah, it's, it's it's sort of thing that happens after you know five years of really good coaching and doing really yeah. the benefit of it.
1: Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's interesting that this season, Dan, we've talked so much about uh, the shape of City's team and and how they're controlling games because I, I know it's been a, a, a frustration for a lot of listeners that uh, Guardiola has persisted with his inverted wingers to the point where even Guardiola was talking about I just didn't like what I was seeing. But it's interesting as well that as this as, as the kind of business end of the season has come. He's kind of kind of slipped back into that mode of having Sterling on on, on the left and and Mahrez on the right, hasn't he?
2: Yeah, I mean, everyone, everyone always thinks about sort of 2017-18 um, City, don't they? And Leroy Sane on the left and Sterling on the right and how great that was. And I kind of feel like that the evidence suggests that Guardiola's moved on from that now. You know, his his kind of, the way he wants to play football is about, you know, when you're attacking, you make the pitch as big as possible. When you're defending, you make the pitch as small as possible. Um, and, the, and, and one way you achieve that is by having the wingers coming inside so that the fullbacks backs can, can push into that space out wide. And then you're creating lots more options for yourself in the middle. So yeah, I kind of feel like like we're probably we're probably stuck uh, for want of a better word with this with this inverted wingers thing. Now, I mean, I guess it's interesting that that Sterling started this game after his rumored uh, bust up with Pep, and um, it shows what an incredible squad City have got that they can they can put players like Maras and De Bruyne on and move Foden over to the left hand side and change the shape like that and and find an answer. I mean, it feels a lot like um, like city's games are puzzles to be solved, puzzles to be solved. Sometimes, and and you know, sometimes Guardiola never solves that puzzle. Sometimes it takes him a lot less time than th- than 84 minutes. But you know, what Matt had at Goodison Park was that they got there in the end. And uh, I think that, that definitely that that photo moving over to the left um, really changed things.
1: Yeah, I, uh, Dom, uh, Dan mentioned Sterling. There. Um he's he's not had his best season. It's I mean, he's still had a good season, but he's not had his best. There's there's other seasons where he's performed better. Um, it, uh, he he always talks about preferring to play on the left and, and coming inside onto his right foot. I still think he's better on the
0: right. What do you reckon? Um, out of the two, I would I'd be inclined to agree with you that, but maybe that's just being a traditional born Englishman who likes their wingers hitting the byline and get the ball in fa- the box. You know, course. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> f- f- five years of Guardiola can't can't knock that hard wire out. But <laughs> I I do like Sterling on that side mainly because. There's obviously the, one of the things people will talk about with Raheem is some of the the odd howling miss here and there, but obviously that 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 is counterbalanced by the fact his numbers are incredible. Um, but the other thing is when it, when he's when he's not in great form, that cut inside from the left is faint to shoot, faint to shoot, and he gets crowded out and the attack breaks down. I, I just think when he's playing his best football on the right, everything's a, everything's a lot more immediate. And yeah, as Dan says, maybe that's harking back to that. Sane-Sterling forward line, which is gone now, and you know this is a different phase of this team. But I think I do prefer him on the right. But then, say, so you look back to... Um, so I've been writing something about him this week, actually. You look at when he played in the youth teams at Liverpool. His position was cutting him from the left wing. It's, it's something he he does prefer, you know, for better or for worse. And he's had. you look at his numbers for Guardi, he's had a lot of success there playing for City as well. So I, I don't think it's as much whether he's on the the left or the right more... His form just isn't isn't quite there at the moment, which I think it's testament to what a, what a performer he's been. That say we've had we've had about a year of Bernardo Silva being below par, and now he's come back into form for City. But and that kind of meandered along. Sterling doesn't play for a week, and it's it's a massive talking point. And I think that I mean the, the, there might be other more sinister factors at play why people, when we've gone over that why people talk about Raheem Sterling, but I think it's a testament to what. a, Incredible performer he's been, you know. Pep Guardiola's not picking him for charity. He's he's an absolutely key man, and his level has dropped a little bit. But that that can happen.
1: Let's touch on De Bruyne's arrival. Uh, Obviously had the played the part in the first goal, scored the second one. Um, Dan, any doubts about his form from the previous games must surely have been wiped away by that ten minute cameo.
2: Yeah, I mean, I did not really have any doubts anyway. I, I, he looked a bit rusty coming back from injury, and I don't think it's ever really easy to slot back into a team that's performing so well. You know, we, we did so well in his absence that it was almost like he, we didn't need him anymore at that point, wasn't it? Um, I mean, it was a bit frustrating with him in, in the United game the other week. There, there were times when I thought he was he was trying a bit too hard, and you know, to make something happen when you know perhaps keeping it simple might have been a bit been the better strategy in that game sometimes. Um, but you know, you saw against West Ham what he's capable of with that amazing assist. He scored that great goal against Gladbach, and, and now this one against Everton, so yeah, he, look, he looks like he's back on track, he, he's playing for Belgium tonight as well, so um, hopefully he comes through that uns, unscathed, and it, it was really um, satisfying how he lashed it in like that against Everton, it looked like he was sort of taking out all his injury frustration that one moment
1: Yeah, I was I was screaming for him to pass that to Foden though, uh, Dom
0: <laughs> Well, I mean, the, the, that's just a very Burt thing to do, isn't it? Or, or, <laughs> always pass it for Foden um, Yeah, but he's, he was it was a ridiculously good cameo and and that's where probably it doesn't in a comparison cuz he came on for sterling it doesn't do raheem too many favors that he kind of sort of flailed away a bit you know having shots from places he wouldn't normally shoot from sterling de bruyne comes on in 10 minutes and just sort of busts the whole thing open he was he was he was fairly incredible and he's um yeah he he just he looked like from those those dodgy games against west ham and in the derby but it looks like everything's clicked back in again and dan mentioned him playing for belgium another area he's back on form is being incredibly short and not suffering fools in press conferences i was looking at his press conference for belgium yesterday and he got asked a question about the Genk players. You know, I was a guy who played there as a kid and the new Genk players coming to the Belgium team. What do you think about that? And his answer, which I've got out here, was, to be honest, I don't really follow Belgian football anymore. I'm not the right person to judge that. <laughs> so he's, he's, <laughs> it, it, he's coming back to all the different facets of full Kevin De Bruyne. So that's, um, that can only be good news for everyone.
1: I absolutely love the fact that uh, you, like, whatever question he gets asked, it's just, here's my answer, move on. <laughs> there's no like, there's no nothing about him it's like like the, the whole let him talk thing from uh, from that champions league game where he just he just wanted to talk to the referee and the team were, were concerned that he was going to get himself into trouble because they know what he's like when he talks it's just a no filter <laughs> yeah um uh, let's let's just touch on the uh, the second goal briefly, Dan. Uh, any
2: controversy for you with the Maro's high boot thing? No, come on, that was uh, Yerry Mina, wasn't it? I think he should be embarrassed with himself there. I mean, it was it was a low head more than a high boot, wasn't it? So, what you're um, saying is
1: that City got the advantage, in it, if anything.
2: Well, yeah, probably. Yeah, he tried to head headbutt his <laughs> foot. Um, I mean, if Mahrez had, had kicked him in the head, I don't think it would have been a foul, but he didn't. So, I mean, does Jeremina not think they have cameras picking this stuff up? in the, in the age of VAR, does he not think that people are sort of can see everything from seven different angles anymore? And I, I couldn't believe they were pr- processing that, actually. I, th- I thought it was uh, pretty embarrassing.
1: Yeah, just on the uh, VAR decisions, though, Dom, uh, could City have had a penalty in the first half?
0: Um, you're gonna to have to remind me when uh, that was. Maybe, Phil, maybe probably not. <laughs> uh, Phil Foden didn't go down. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh god. Yeah, that was definitely a penalty. Um, the 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 classic. Oh, um, the cla- yeah. See so that's it. F- Foden doesn't dive, so the refs ignore it, and we do too. But yeah, that was that was absolutely foul. Um, it, it's your classic. Anywhere else on the pitch, you'd just you'd give a free kick by the centre circle. Yeah, it's um, it's I a mean, one. I think you know it's one of the things. In this country we get very exercised about simulation you know and sean dych will have his monthly monologue about it on match of the day but i think a yellow card for a dive is about right and move on and that's fine but it doesn't help the cause of you know someone like foden who oh this wasn't as comedy as the mccarthy one but he's just been blatantly fouled two times and carried on trying to play and doesn't you know there's there's no doubt if he takes a tumble there he's got much more chance of getting a penalty and that probably needs correcting, because again, we say it's a VAR thing, you know, the technology's only as good as the humans who, who are involved in it, and they've been found wanting again.
1: Yeah, uh, the thing is though, Dan, is it, is it because the fact that uh, where Foden was on the pitch, he was only just in the box, he wasn't really presenting a threat to goal at that point, because he was going away from goal and there was bodies in the way a penalty a free shot at goal from the centre there there is quite a harsh punishment for that foul even though the laws of the game say a foul at that point of the pitch is a penalty do you know what I mean it's a hard yeah. decision to make
2: yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, I've sort of agonised over this quite a lot uh, this season about whether, whether the the sort of penalty, uh, what qualifies as a penalty needs to change a little bit. I have you know, even talk with friends at work and stuff about whether they need to change the parameters of the penalty box and make it smaller so that, it, you know, maybe a twelve yard box would make more sense. Um, that you have to be punished so within. Yeah, there you go, yeah. <laughs> so you have to have to be fouled within 12 yards of the goal for it to qualify as a penalty because there's, there's a lot of them like that where there'll be a guy going away from goal and it'll just be just inside the box and you get a penalty and you kind of think the punishment doesn't really fit the crime. Um, but also, I mean, the thing with VAR as well that, that I find so frustrating is that this this whole thing about them not wanting to re-referee the game, not wanting to take the power out of the referee's hands. And I kind of thought that's what the whole point of VAR was for. To to sort of be able to show the referee things that he hasn't seen that aren't just this definition of like a clear and obvious wrong decision. It's like they should be able to look at that instant with Vodan and go, no, that's a foul actually. By the letter of the law, that is a foul. That should be a penalty. It's a penalty. Whereas the actual sort of way they do it is, well, the referee didn't think it was, so therefore it mustn't be. And it's like it doesn't matter what the referee thinks. It matters yeah. what's right or wrong. <laughs> like
1: yeah, um, let's let's look a bit further back on the pitch because uh, Fernandinho, Dom, was, uh, I mean, let's be honest, absolutely remarkable. Him and Foden felt like the only positive things in that game for 80 minutes.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was also classic Fernandinho to um, fix Michael Oliver's uh, headset to delay his yellow card. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 actually, uh, just after he'd, and I, well, I will get onto his on-field prowess, but when he after he'd helped Oliver out with his headset, just after that, I think there was a foul on Richarlison that probably should have been a yellow card and he didn't get booked. And the camera caught Foden just laughing his head off. Yeah. As if Everyone's sort of like, it's Fernandinho. It's kind of what he does. <laughs> and he's got, so yeah, he was, but it was, um, yeah, he, he was great. And um, it's just been, after last season when he went from the bloke who was going to learn centre-half a few games to being the best centre-back at the club due to injury and form issues, And sort of getting stuck with whoever was less bad out of Otamendi and Stones that particular week, and having Rodri in front of him learning the role. Obviously, Rodri's been great this season, but it was—it's just been kind of nice how, at his age now, they can pop him in for to score at Old Trafford, to be brilliant against Arsenal, and just—it's kind of if last season had been the last year of his contract, and it would have been what's going to happen now. It would have kind of been a bit of an awful, bit of an ordeal of a way for him to go out. But he's, you know, he rocks up every now and then. He and he looks absolutely class. And the weekend was no different.
1: Yeah, I mean, the elephant in the room is his contract down because he's thirty six in May. And it's he's up, up at the end of the season. Um, what do they do? Do you reckon?
2: Well, I mean, I looked up earlier. I was surprised that he's made 26 appearances this season, which is surprisingly high. I mean, a lot of those, I think, are probably coming off the bench and, and that kind of thing. Not that many starts in there. But, I mean, I, he looks like he's got so much left in the tank. I'm, I, I'd love to see his passport, actually, just verify that he genuinely is 35, because he doesn't <laughs> look like a 35-year-old. Um, and I remember thinking, even during the first game of the season against Wolves this year, that he looked like he, he still had a lot left. And um, I just wonder whether whether his age makes that a bit irrelevant to City, though, you know, how, how he's playing, and whether they're just kind of playing, for the future without him anyway. I mean, if you remember a couple of years ago in the All or Nothing documentary, there was that scene where they were negotiating his contract and and even then they were pretty reluctant to give him, what was it, an extra two years? So I I get the impression that it, the decision has already been made. I mean, a few players have kind of hinted that he's off at the end of the season um, in interviews and things like that. So I'd be amazed if they offered him a new contract to be honest. Which is a shame because he's been a great servant to this club. I think he's a he's a he's a city legend. He deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as the likes of Aguero, Company, Silver, Yaya Toure, De Bruyne. I think he's up there with all of those. I think he's one of the best signings we've ever we've ever made.
1: Yeah. Um. I, that the other thing is as well, Dom, is what he wants because. Uh, you know, it, it it might be nice for us to get to to go back to the to a game with crowds where he's he's still part of the team. But if he's only going to be a bit part player and he feels he could do better elsewhere, it's like you kind of, kind of got to take that into consideration
0: as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I th- it's it's a rare thing nowadays when you you think about players who have an affinity for the club, but because you know it's. It's a job, and and that's absolutely fine, you know, like everybody else. But it's the same. One, one of the obvious reasons City fans have liked Forward and aside from him being a generational talent is he's a City fan from Stockport. But for, you know, you think back to when Fernandinho joined, and it was all he basically sort of <laughs> engineered his own move paid the release fee, I think. And then yeah. there's all the sort of yeah. I saw it circulating online this week, the um his Facebook status of like first day training at the Man City tomorrow, feeling anxious and like him <laughs> sm- beaming like a Cheshire cat on his sofa. So I think there's probably his age, you know he's had he's had an incredible career. He's played a lot of games for Brazil. Um probably some in World Cups he would rather not have played him, but it's <laughs> it's been a great career and I think there's I think there's an affinity for the club with Fernandinho that it will come into it that if it's an option between being bit part again next year and being a player coach, if that's, on, if that's maybe something else that's on the table, or going and playing every game for maybe a mid-table La Liga side, I'd, I get the impression he'd rather stay, but, I mean, who knows? Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll wait and see.
1: Right, let's move on. Uh, In the last decade, City fans have become accustomed to excellent attacking football, but for the majority of the Premier League era, it wasn't always like that. Brian Horton's side in the mid-1990s were one of the most exciting to watch, even if the results were unpredictable. One big part of that side was striker Paul Walsh, who arrived from Portsmouth in 1994 after his career had stalled a little, following spells in the top flight with Liverpool and Tottenham. I've been speaking to him about his time at Main Road, and he starts by explaining how the move to City came about.
3: Well, my understanding of it was that um, you know, we just—I was at Portsmouth. We just played Manchester United um, and drew two-two in the League Cup. And, and uh, Brian Orton was in the stand, who was friends with Jim Smith anyway. who's was Portsmouth manager, and um, I scored two that night. And um, we went back. We were staying up the week because we had Blackburn on the Saturday in the FA Cup. So that was a. We stayed at the uh, Mottram Hall, and um, I think Jim and Jim and the. Uh, Brian Alton had a chat, and I think Brian made an inquiry about me then. And uh, you know, I, I went away, and a few weeks later, Brian actually called me and said he wanted to wanted to get me. Um, would I come? I said, yeah. Uh, and then it seemed like an absolute eternity after that. Um, you know, going into training, waiting for the manager to say something to me that they'd agreed to. Be, it took it was about three weeks, two or three weeks, but it felt longer. Um, and um, and then one day I was driving back from training and uh, Jim Smith rang me and said that we'd they'd agreed a fee for me and um, did I want to go? So I went, yeah, and um, that was it. And that was it. Um, um, there was also some interest from West Ham as well, um, you know. Um, but, um, you yeah, know, I made the journey up the uh, up the motorway and, uh, yeah, did the negotiations. I think we did them in from Hall as well and I was staying there and uh, and, that, and that was it agreed agreed it all and, and uh, uh yeah there we were i was going to say you played
1: with brian horton at, at luton so did you kind of know what to expect from one of his teams
3: not really no i mean right <laughs> i love him a bits, brian is you know we're still good friends and um he uh he you know i, I you know, when, when i was at luton with him i i was i was 19 and you know um i and i used to drive him mad in some games you know where um if he made a run and cause he was a bit older and exerted a bit of energy and I didn't give it to him and we lost it. He used to go mad and me and him used to have a potential sort of arguing match on the, on the, on the pitch. Um, and, um, you know, but off of the pitch, we was all great. Um, but, um, but no, I didn't. Um, so, um, but he explained to us what he was trying to do. Um, but it was all very new because, you know, um, Uwe was just about to sign at the same time. Um, and then I think two or three weeks weeks later, um, uh, Peter Beagrie came in, and so what his vision was obviously to play with wingers, and two up front, and um, and uh, you know play with width and get crosses in, which you know I, I got to be honest with you, it's, it's probably the, the the most wonderful eighteen months of my life that was um, that period there, um, unexpectedly for lots of different reasons. Um, you know I I, I, had a, I had an underlying feeling that man city fans were slightly disappointed that they were signing me um, is, is how, how I felt um, you know because I dropped down into the championship for the first time in about 12 years um, or 10 11 years whatever it was and um, and you know they was hoping for better is, is how I felt anyway um, and um, you know so so the, I felt a bit of pressure for, because of that um, and um, I was 32 at the same time, which I think some people forget as well. I was I was getting on a little bit, um, and uh, you know, so so it was there was there was a mixture in me of of excitement, of anxiety, um, of all sorts of emotions, you know, about how I felt about how it may go or may not go. Um, and you know, the first couple of games were awful because we I think we drew we might have lost to Wimbledon actually on a muddy at main road. And then the second game was another game at main road and we drew with Sheffield United. And I remember thinking what a bad game it was. Um, and um, you know, me and Uwe was just getting to know each other. Then I think we played Oldham uh, over on the beach because um, it was a beach, like a beach then. And, and Beaks came in and, and it was his first game. And um, me and Uwe were just working each other out and, um, we had witford on the right with nicky summerby we had Maka, steve mack in um, in midfield so good experience top player and bigs trickery on the left hand side now and um you know and and suddenly um, although although we got another draw i think it was at oldham you could sense that there was a you know it started you could feel the improvements coming on even though the results at that point hadn't sort of kicked in and then the the, the fourth game we went down to to ipswich and um but Biggs went jinking down the left wing, cut inside it, a shot, the goalkeeper tipped it onto the post and I knocked the rebound in. Uh, and then I had a, I, I shaped up to it, a shot, slid Uwe in, Uwe scored his first goal. We both now had our first goal with 2-1 up and disappointingly, I think Vonke gave a, um, a, a, a needless penalty away and um, it was another draw. Um, but off the back of that game, I mean, I, I, ain't, I, I, that, I, I only really remember them first four games and then, I believe we beat Newcastle, Villa, and you know suddenly we went on a run, and I scored a few, Uwe scored a few. The feeling around the place, the, the gloom of when I first got there, uh, just sort of lifted. I mean, the, the, the fans didn't have any preconceived ideas about Uwe because he was an unknown, um, but I think they did about me a bit. And um, but to suddenly feel the fans turn in your favour massively. And enjoy what you're doing was probably one of the most satisfying things that ever happened.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you mention Uwe as well. I've interviewed Uwe a a couple of times down the years, uh, and he talks so much about the understanding that you two developed. Um, Why? Why did you think it worked so well?
3: Um, Well, you know, Uwe was, you know, I I was always going to be the type of player that liked to play off sort of more of a target man, and Uwe, Uwe, you know, liked to run in the channels a bit more. And, and, and so we had that option from the fullbacks uh, because we played with width, it stretched defences, which gave me, a little, you know, a little bit of space to drop in pockets and pick it up um, and get turned and get at people, you know. And um, not only that, you know, when the ball went wide, me and Uwe both got in the box, backed up by either Stevie Lomas, uh, Gary Flitcroft or Steve McMahon, who was ever, whoever was in midfield at that time. And um, you know, was back in the box up. So we had two people going in on crosses. We had a midfielder backing up the edge of the box to to try and score. Um, you know, and it was a, it was a progressive, forward-thinking team. Um, you know, that played entertaining football. Um, you know, and it was it was edgy at the time. But you know, give it them four, after them first four games, and we uh, and, uh, and we had a great little run of results, and we flew out of the relegation relegation zone. And suddenly, you know, every life was good. Um, and, and, and me and Uwe, our, our relationship just grew, and um, you know, I, I he knew where I liked to operate. I knew where he was his favorite uh, favorite areas were, and and then we both knew where we needed to be when the ball was in wide positions. So it's quite simple. There's no rocket science.
1: It's interesting as well because like, he says at the time he didn't speak a word of English. So what like what was that like?
3: <laughs> um. Uh. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Um. He only. Had, uh, Volshi, Volshi, or Uve, yeah and I, and I was shouting Uwe uh, it doesn't matter you know because you know I where when I let I probably let Uve run where he wanted to run and I would with my bit more experience would probably play in the other areas that he wasn't it's probably how it evolved which probably suited me and suited him but we just didn't know it right in the beginning
1: yeah, uh, and then you, like you mentioned as well, uh, the the wide wingers in in Beigley and Summerby. I mean, there, there was a spell uh, where where Brian Horton had uh, those two in the side, you alongside now Quinn and Uwe it's It was just like all out attack, wasn't it? Uh,
3: yeah, um, it, we, it, that that lineup didn't play that much. I mean, I had a, I had a spell where I played out on the left hand side. I'm not sure if Beagrie was injured or or yeah, whatever. But um, yeah, which wasn't my preferred position. Um, but, you know, I, I learned from a mistake I made at Liverpool once where Roy Evans asked me if I'd play on the right-hand side. Of um, He asked me for Kenny Dalgleish whether I'd play on the right-hand side. Um, and I, I was adamant I was a centre-forward. And I ended up moving away from Liverpool. And I look at that, that's one of my regrets. Because I would have rather been at Liverpool. I know probably City fans don't want to hear this, but I'd have rather have been at Liverpool playing on the right-hand side um, than, than moving away from Liverpool because they were a top side. And um, but, but at the same time, you learn from your mistakes, you learn from your experiences. And, um, you know, I and, and I and I wanted to do well for Brian Alton and, and, and Man City. You know, I was enjoying the football. The fans were great to me and they welcomed me after that initial bit of scepticism, I think. And um, I wanted to pay that back. So I play anywhere, really. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, I never missed a game. Hardly. I think I missed two games against, I think they might have been both against Leeds, I think. And, um, you know, I, you know, I, I was, I was done in it, at, in at certain periods where, you know, I look at players now and they get taken out, put back in, taken out, you know, have a rest, don't play in this game, don't play in that game. I mean, I was rushed back to play Barnet in, in the, in the, uh, in the League Cup and we was losing one nil from the first leg. Uh, I was playing with a heavily strapped ankle injury and that was a real edgy game. And uh, we only just beat them. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I, I could have done with a breather here and there um, just, to, just to recover. Um, because, you know, you're getting 32, 33 years of age, you take a little bit longer. But I was loving it so much. I Probably, if he had have said to me, I'm going to rest you, I'd have, I would have, I'd have gone mad. Because I was just loving the football.
1: Yeah, I'm, I I was going to say, I, like the, the thing I remember from, from kind of that era at Main Road as well was that, 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 that there was a sort of buzz around Main Road. Does that make sense? Like, the, 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 like the city players would get on the ball and, and kind of like the Main Road uh, atmosphere would just lift a little bit.
3: Yeah, well, well, you know we had you know we had Maurizio Galdino come in and played a bit, and um, you know uh, Stevie Lomas was emerging, Flitty was in the team. You know, so we had, we had some young legs as well, young, young players who were good players. And, um, you know, so we had a good good mix of youth and experience. Um, and there was a buzz. The style of football was quite exciting. Get it wide, get crosses in, get people attacking the ball, you know, backing the box up. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't rocket science sort of in terms of its style, um, you know, or intricacy of the way, say, Man City play today or anything like that but it was it was making the best of the players that we had remember man city at that point weren't a big spending club um so it was exciting football on a shoestring i would say yeah what what
1: what was main road like um to actually play in the atmosphere
3: you know what when i when i was signing i thought to myself Do you know what i don't think i've ever had a good game up here you know and that was in my mind a little bit um when I say, I mean even that momentous day in 1983 when I was playing for Luton and we and we won one nil. I mean the game just passed me by I hardly I hardly contributed on the day um you know and, and and I remember playing there for Tottenham a couple of times and I hadn't really done a lot and you know the pitch was big and it was heavy um and um you know it, it, I'd struggled on that pitch um and that was in the back of my mind a little bit but um you know, when I got there, I just, uh, you know, I just had, uh, I just thought I got to make I just got to do my best, make the most of it. You know, I was fit, I was raring to go, and 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 I was looking forward to the challenge. Yes, I was anxious, I was a bit nervous, um, even with my experience. Um, I just wanted wanted to do well, and um, you know, and I'm, and I'd like I'd like to have a feeling that I left there feeling that that's how people remembered it.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's uh, City fans of a of a certain age who still, even even with the performances that City put in now, talk about uh, that Spurs game, the five two win. Um, what 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 are your memories of that game?
3: Me being me being as I am, I, I still go back to the one I missed. <laughs> um, I should have had a hat trick. Uh, I missed the simplest chance of the lot, which luckily Quinny knocked in, which was a Nicky Summerby cross from the right. Header, poor header. And Quinny done great to get a rebound in. Um that were, that were that would have really been the, the cream of everything. Hey, listen, don't get me wrong, it was still the cream of you know, out of all the performances, there was there was Everton at home We were, we won four 0 me and Uve got two apiece. That was a great day. On on a on a pitch that was like a billiard table at the start of the season, it was fantastic when a pitch was like that. It it didn't stay like that. That was the problem. Um, a little bit at times. Um and uh, you know, that Tottenham game was, was wonderful, you know. Um yeah, you i know, got a couple of goals yet. Should have scored another one. Um, you know, made made one. Had some good runs with the ball. You know, it was against my old club, where where I, to be fair, I'd been a disappointment. That, that, that's me. You know, how I look at me at Tottenham, and um, you know, and so so yeah, it was a great. It gave me back a real bit, a real bit of my footballing self esteem, if you like.
1: Yeah, and then obviously there's uh, there's the three two win at Blackburn as well. The, the year that Blackburn won the league, City nearly stopped them.
3: <laughs> yeah, but that day I was playing on the left side, you see, now, that was one of the games where I wasn't playing up front. Um, and and as as I can't remember how to go, I can't remember who had the shot, um, but um, and and Tim Flowers parried it, and I was coming off the left hand side, backing up the back post, and I got the rebound off the goalkeeper. And um, and that one was free too, but that has mixed emotions that night because although it was a great, a, a great, um, uh, a great night for us, um, it was tinged with a bad memory because when we came in and Francis Lee um, came in, he almost looked disappointed that we'd won, and um, and, and, and 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 you know, and not long after that, Brian Alton, um, you know, it was pretty much knew the writing was on the wall because the club had already made its mind up. I believe that they wanted a different manager, and. Um, and and that's sometimes the real heartache of football, you know, depending on where you stand with it all. Um, because Brian had put a good great team together on not a lot of money, and um, you know, but that wasn't going to be good enough. And uh, you know, so I had mixed emotions that night a little bit because um, yeah, you, know, you hear the rumblings in the background about whether the manager's safe and things like that. And that was a great night, you know, we loved it. Um and um, you know, yeah, tinged with that little bit of dis- disappointment for the reason I just said.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting that uh, that you say that as well because I mean, obviously, you know, managerial sackings are a a, a part of football, and you just kind of kind of get on and deal with it. But it's I guess is it harder when it's it's somebody you know from your playing days, and when it's a manager that you've enjoyed playing under that sort of thing?
3: Yeah, I mean, I I, you know I've got a lot of affection for for Brian Alton. I I love the bloke, and um, you know, I played with him. He bought me. And I and I and I did my best for him, and uh, you know I'm, I'm quite I'm quite comfortable with all that part of it. It's just you know in the romance of football, you know it, it would have been you know he'd put a good team together. I mean City were only ever gonna be a mid-table team unless you started spending a lot more money than he was spending, and um, you know and and you know and, and I was a massive Alan Ball fan by the way as well, right? Um, I had his boots when I was a kid I was an Arsenal fan I I had Alan Ball's boots in the mid-70s and uh, you know um, so you know and Alan Ball had always been great to me Um, so I I, I was sort of tinged with disappointment for Brian but excited with Alan Ball but Alan Ball became disappointing very quickly Um, you know and um, and and I could see I could see that it was going to struggle I could see that it was going to struggle and uh, and uh, and then the opportunity came to get a bit of security um, by going back to Portsmouth, and and that suited suited me at the time. It suited Manchester City, and 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 I think Alan Ball with what he wanted to do, he wanted to bring different players in. And you know, I played three games, the first three games of that season, and it was going to be a nightmare. I could see it already. <laughs>
0: and under every manager, just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk.
1: Was, was there, I mean, there, there was rumours about his, his man management not being uh, at the level of, of, of that. You know, a lot of, a lot, lot of other managers were like, what, "What? how did you find him um, kind of to deal with on a personal level?
3: No, I mean, you, you know, you speak to Alan Ball, he's infectious, he's through and through a football man, but you know, for someone of that level of experience and knowledge and being a world cup winner, I could not believe that, um, he based our whole team around one player in that season, which was going to be Georgie King Cladsey. And that means he took the best of Beegary away. He took the best of Summer B away. He took the best of me away and all to accommodate one player. And, um, you know, I saw that in those early games. So when the, when the, when the situation arose to, to go back to Portsmouth, because, you know, listen, I, I could have took a view that, well, if we stay here and we go down, it'd be the longest season of all time and get relegated. And then I might get an extra contract by staying at Man City because I'll be in the, uh, in the championship. I, didn't, I couldn't look at it like that, you know. And, um, you know, Portsmouth, I was 33 at the time and, I, and they offered me a three-year contract Alan Ball wanted Jerry Creeny, Uh, and um, and so that that's what happened. And and it, listen, it's just another chapter in the life of a couple of players and football and Man City's history. The rest of that after that was history, but it wasn't good history, was it? The next few seasons, and um, you know, uh, you know, bless him, Alan Ball. You know, uh, he, you know, I couldn't believe he couldn't see, you know, that how much he'd taken away from other players by accommodating this one player who actually didn't, owe, didn't actually contribute enough in a, in a lot of areas, scored the odd wonderful goal, looked silky gorgeous on a football, um, but flattered to deceive, in my opinion. Yeah, uh,
1: when you when you look back at your your time at City, I mean, I, I find it interesting that you said at, at the start of the interview um, that you look back at it as as one of the best eighteen months of of, of your life. Um, why why would you put that down to? Is it just was it just the most fun or, or, or something like that that you've had on a, on a football pitch? Uh,
3: no, because I was disappointing at Tottenham. So again, if we're talking football, self esteem, I was I was low, I was low. I went to Portsmouth. Now you don't go to you don't go to Portsmouth from Tottenham. If you if you've been doing great, dear. Um, so I ended up at Portsmouth. I didn't want to go to Portsmouth, right? It was was the truth of the matter. But it was it was in 1992, and, and this is going to sound really random. But the interest rate was 15% on my mortgage, right? And the payments were killing me, right? This is when we, you know, we did, going. But the payments were killing me. So Portsmouth offered to buy my house off me. So that's why I went to Portsmouth. Right, got me out of a ridiculous mortgage, um, and and, and allowed me to sort of to reset myself. And um, you know, people of only of a certain age will remember that, you know. Yeah, my, my son is just about to get a mortgage, for instance. He's like he's a 0.1, he's a starting point. It was 15% back in the day. So anyway, um, it was a financial a financial decision as well. And um, you know, I went there and it's a culture shock because the facilities aren't as good and you know but I spent the whole summer training thinking I've got, I've got to go here and do well, you know, and, uh, you yeah, know, I went there and had a good 18 months. It was, it was great. And, and, you know, the fans down there were fantastic as well. And um, so, yeah, yeah, but, but when I got the call for the Man City, this was a chance for me to prove to myself that I was, you know, I could still play at that level. Did you put a lot of pressure on yourself in that sense? Uh, I don't remember sort of, yeah, I, I, you know, I got high expectations of myself in terms of what I know I'm capable of, um, and you know, it, 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 sometimes, you know, you know, and, and I give you the two, ex, the two examples of that, you know, the football that I played under Brian Alton in that team was some of the best football I've played because of this. But you transfer that across to Alan Ball, I, you wouldn't have seen you, you wouldn't have seen me for love nor money in that team do anything good because. The, the the way that it was set up wouldn't have allowed me to do that. And um, so it would have been, fans would have been, because football's quite fickle, you know, they would have gone, looked at my age, 33, oh, he can't do it no more, he's too old. All of them things, whether they were whether they were right or wrong, would have got chucked at me because the team wouldn't have been doing well and I wouldn't have been scoring any goals because the team set up didn't allow for me to score any goals. I For the first time in my life, I wasn't sure how to get the ball because Georgie was about two yards away from me um, in my hole where I like to go and operate a little bit. We didn't have any wingers because they were tucked in fullbacks, then tuck in alongside the two centre halves and there was nowhere to go um, apart from dropping really ridiculously deep just to get a few touches. So, um, you know, that that's that that's how it was. Um, but you know, that's how football is you know, People got different ideas, different ways of playing, rate players differently. Um, and uh, it's that one guy's opinion on a given day about someone, um, about a player, and um, yeah, that's, how, that's how football works.
1: Yeah, and uh, like you say as well, how um, I, I find it interesting as well that you, that you say that uh, you felt you needed to prove yourself to the fans because my my overriding memory of that time was was that you were a very exciting player to watch. You got on the ball and you, you loved running at defenders, sort of thing.
3: Yeah, I was, I was I was decent back to goal. You know, I could turn and, and manipulate the ball and. And you know, uninch, uninch sort of big centre halves, and 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 link the play up. And you know, I was experienced. Remember, I'm 32. I've got a lot of games under me belt, a lot of experience. Um, but what was great is you always had the release of getting it out wide and then getting into the box. And because I'm not very big, I don't think people thought. Oh, you know, maybe they didn't see me as an aerial threat. But I liked heading the ball, and so I had a good leap. So I, uh, Stevie, Stevie Stevie Lomas tells tells a great story. I absolutely love it. So so he said to me, he said, when you walked through the door and I saw you, he said, I thought, how the fuck's that little short-ass going to help us, right? They, they, that's where, this is a conversation we had a few years back, right? And, I, you know, we we can laugh at it because I love Lomi, he's a great lad. And, um, and uh, yeah, and so that's, that's that's how probably some of my own teammates might have been looking at me, you know, so forget fans, the other players might have been thinking that, you know? And, um, you know, and, th- and then he said, to- he said to me, and I couldn't believe how high you could jump and I couldn't believe some of the things you did. And, um, you know, and that was, that was a, that was a real compliment coming from him. Um, so, you know, and that was great. And that's that, that, them sorts of things are what, what make it all worthwhile. You know, I used to love the hostility of turning up at an away ground where the fans used to loathe you and disp- you know, all, that, all that horrible, nasty aggression that used to go against you. And that, that used to, that's what used to excite me the most. You know, I used to love it, you know, the vitriol coming from the terraces and you know, all of that. I, I used to I used to thrive on all that, you know, I loved it. Um, and, and you know, that's what made it all exciting, you know, I really did. You know, I'm going, you know, whether it be going to Old Trafford with Man City or going to Old Trafford with Liverpool, you know, they were massive games. And so to you know, I'm just I'm just proud to be able to tell my kids I've played in all them games, you know. Um, so yeah, it's it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant, yeah. I got I've got I've I've been so lucky really I didn't always feel that way Um, you know but I look back on it now I was so lucky to have the you know the opportunities in the career I had I didn't always make the most of it and there's a small part of me thinks I left a little bit out there but um, you know I got to be grateful for the career I had not the bits that I didn't have yeah
1: Um, if I could if I could turn the clock back to uh, to March 1994 and uh, you could do it all again would you do it?
3: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of the best things I ever did was make that move to Man City. Um, you know, and you know, I, you know, I, I would have been hated because of my associations to Spurs and Liverpool by most fans in any other circumstance. Let's be honest. Uh, but you go there and you end up playing for that club, uh, and 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 it's wonderful to be able to have turned those people round. And those people think you were a good player who contributed something to their football club.
0: Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
3: That was
1: former City striker Paul Walsh there. Uh, going to finish with Ask the Panel. Get your questions in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, David Johnson is first up on Twitter. He says, my ticket is in the section earmarked for development by safe standing. What do you think of City putting in rail seating before anything is going to be allowed? Um, Dan, what's what's your, what, what, what's your thoughts on the safe standing uh, issue here?
2: I think it's really cool. Yeah, I think it's a, a really uh, good good move from the club. Um, you know, give it a try with what is it five thousand seats or something they've they've put in there. So. Um I definitely want to see safe standing in, in in football as soon as possible. It's been, you know, they've done so many tests on it now and it's been in place at Celtic for a while, hasn't it? And I think Tottenham Stadium has it as well, the rail seating. So um, there's no reason why they can't do it, I don't think. And it's it's good to see the club sort of take moving forward and hopefully it will improve the atmosphere a little bit because that's the most sort of vocal section of the ground, isn't it? At the, the bottom of the south stand there usually. Yeah. So, um, yeah, bring it on.
1: Yeah, uh, Dom. It's um, it feels like something that all of football has been calling for for a very long time.
0: I think it's a great idea, and I think it's something you know Dan would know a lot more about than me. That, like you, the, when I think of safe standing, I think about some of the, the grounds in the Bundesliga where the atmosphere is absolutely incredible. That's it's yeah. I, I think it's more than time for it to happen. It's been shown it can be safe elsewhere. I suppose that the only concern, if you you know, from a, a match going fan point of view, would be city have said that there's no indication as to when any change in legislation may occur so that means you might just be sitting with a metal bar in front of you when you go back to the ground rather than being able to properly use it so it is while it's good to see the club being proactive i think it would be a little bit unfortunate for the people that sit in that section of the ground if they're not say, intersa- you know that the safe standing hasn't fully come in and they've just basically got a little bit more match day
2: apparatus around them that might be a bit strange yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, true but I, th- I think that part of the ground pe- people stand up for most of the g- most of the game that's, anyway that's so That's fair yeah, yeah that's a fair point. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's interesting that uh, you say all this as well because I, when I think about this, genuinely, and I, I get there are people listening to this and there are, get there are plenty of people around the world who want to stand up when they're watching football. I honestly, right now, can't think of a of a worst way to spend ninety minutes uh, inside the Etihad because I will the, the backache I will have after ninety minutes of standing up. Oh goodness
2: me! My that's granddad it, once nearly had a fight with a fellow City fan because they kept standing up in front of him. So he'll be spinning <laughs> he'll be spinning in his grave at this news. I can tell you,
0: <laughs> Dave. We'll have to get we we'll have to get you in Tunnel Club them nice, them nice comfy ones
2: oh uh, yeah that's,
0: uh, that'll, that'll do me yeah um, finally
1: Ben from Dorking on the emails has asked uh, having accepted that Aguero may leave this summer I've remembered something that was said when Silver left that when crowds are allowed there'll be a chance to say goodbye to him my thought was that when we have the first international break after crowds are allowed back we have Team Silver versus Team Aguero as a testimonial for both does this seem like a good idea or would you rather they had their own separate celebrations Dan
2: I think I would probably rather they had their own separate celebrations, but that would be a nice compromise, I guess. Um, I'll be interested to know who would get sort of would they sort of pick it like when you're picking a football team at school, like you all just line up all the players and go, <laughs> "I'll have I'll have company," all right, "I'll have De Jong" or something like that, you know? Um, I mean, companies company's testimonial was great, but the, the sad thing about that was that he didn't get to play in it, so it'd be nice to see him back at the Etihad for the one last game if he, if he still got the, the legs for it. Yeah. Um, I'd not I mean, thought I'll... of
1: that, you know. There's, there's so many there's so many ex players who who were like, "Oh, we'll go to their testimonial." Because it'll be the last one, but because yeah. they're all moving on at different times, they're kind of like they'll keep coming back.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, there was a few players that were sort of builders were going to play in companies that didn't didn't end up playing, like Balotelli, for example. So um, yeah, it'd be nice to nice to see that. Um, but I don't know, during an international break, it might be tricky to get players sometimes. I guess, but I mean, I'm just not ready to accept that Aguero's leaving yet. To be honest, so this is quite a hard conversation for me to have.
1: Fair enough, uh, Don. What, what do you reckon, Team Silver versus Team Agüero, or two separate
0: nights? Um. No, I think one night together. I think that'd be good for like you know everybody back together having a celebration after a year of being outside of grounds. Um, are Silva and Aguero? Are they the last two remaining guys from the Mancini era? There,
1: um, must be. Yeah, they must be. Surely. Yeah. Right. So
0: what you do then is you get together the QPR team, and get everyone <laughs> back together, and you play out ninety minutes of nonsense. And then you do a phoenix from the flames. Silver crossing a score and then Aguero scoring the Aguero That's a great goal. idea. Yeah. yeah. What, what are and a and Skinner idea. up to? <laughs> <laughs> Probably doing a new version of three lines for Euros, <laughs> I imagine. Yeah.
1: I, um, I, the, I, my overriding memory from that company testimonial was uh, just how good Sammy Nasri was still. So I'm, I'm still excited to see what he's going to be like and what, uh, what yeah, Stephen Island's Stephen like. Island.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Martin
0: Petrov was lively too.
2: Yeah, he was he was yeah.
1: someone who was definitely suffering from having not played
2: for a bit though, I think. Sure, <laughs> right, Phillips was another one he was yeah. knackered after about 10 minutes wasn't he yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, right well so that's it for this week's Blue Moon Podcast thank you very much for listening if you've enjoyed please leave it a rating and a review in all the usual places like Apple Podcasts as it helps other people find the show and it helps us pay the bills through the ads as well uh, if you want to support the show a bit more or you'd like some ad free podcasts then you can sign up to any of our three tiers on Patreon they're all the same so we won't be offended if you choose the cheapest option it's there to give affordable options to give people the choice uh, the details are on patreon.com There you'll also find details of the weekly bonus show. You'll get that as a backer on any of the tiers as well. This week we're doing the first in a new series of examinations of cult heroes as we turn the spotlight on Christian Ngui's time at the club. Special thanks to my guests this week, Dan Burke. Always a pleasure. And Don Farrell. Cheers, lads. I'll be back next week to look ahead to the ties with Leicester and Borussia Dortmund. I will see you then.